Now I'm going to talk about forgiveness and how we are forgiven. In the beginning I want to say this. Forgiveness is not merely the punishment for our sins. It's much bigger than that. It's not, well, you've sinned and now I've paid for your sins and now I'm not keeping that sin against you because you have sinned. And now it's taken away. It's not your son comes and he disobeys you and you give your other son a hiding for this son's sake and now your son is forgiven. That is a very shallow understanding of forgiveness. Forgiveness is much, much deeper than that. It's much bigger than that. I I actually want to say that is one of the smallest parts of forgiveness is the punishment of sins. So, uh, Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look at forgiveness, how God forgave us. And when we start to understand what forgiveness is, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment on the fulfillment of the law. And I, I, I had some time there. So I was writing one chapter on forgiveness and it blessed me so much. Um, 2 from verse 12. Chapter 2 from verse 12. He said, let's read from verse 11. It says, In whom also you, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now that is... That is a whole hour's message, just that verse. But it so powerfully says that the, the dying of your flesh wasn't in you laying down the flesh. It wasn't Christ's death. When He died, the flesh died. When He died, the, uh, um, he, he died on our behalf. So that in those times people had to be circumcised to become part of the kingdom of God. And circumcision literally was, it's, a, it's gross if you think of it, but um, it, it literally was a, a, a cutting away of the flesh. That's what it is. It's to cut the flesh off. So that's what Jesus came to do. He came to cut away from us our flesh. So that we don't have to struggle with the flesh anymore. A Christian is not supposed to struggle with the flesh. But because of a wrong understanding of what flesh is and of what spirit is, we cannot lay down. And, and the, we, we always with this thing, I want to lay down my flesh. I want to lay down my own will. I want to lay down the I. You know, I want to... And then by those things, we think we must put ourselves through hard times and, and all of those things so that we can be, be approved of God. It's not what it is. Colossians says that Jesus Christ died for us and in His death, we... Uh, 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 um, uh, he says, in the putting of the body of sins. So when He was circumcised, in other words, when He died for us, our body of sins was put off, and we're going to get into that, what that is. In verse 12, Buried with Him in baptism, baptism, wherein also you were risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has He quickened together with Him. How, how, now listen to how He has forgiven us. Having forgiven you all trespasses, comma, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances or laws that was against us. Okay. So, he comes, he says, I want to say to you something, that when Jesus died, the flesh man was cut off from you. So, when you are living in Christ, you are not living a flesh life anymore. And like I said to those pastors, I said so many 
pastors these days start churches working for Satan, not knowing it. Because they come, God tells them, listen, I've anointed you um, to go and be a pastor or an evangelist, or in my case, Bertie, I've given you the ability to go and preach the gospel all over the world, to understand the scriptures and teach it to people to win the lost. Then Satan comes and tells Bertie, listen Bertie, oh, uh, did God say that you are anointed to go and preach to the lost? Yes. Okay, so have a crusade of 5,000 people, let me see. Then I go and I have my crusade working for who? For Satan. Because I'm trying to show him now. I'm trying to prove to him. God says to you, you're a successful businessman. I've blessed you in money. I open doors for you. Satan comes to you and says to you, Okay, did God say to you that you are prosperous? Yes, he did. Okay, so get that business deal through. Now you start to push that deal with everything in you. Working for Satan. Are you hearing what I'm saying? (laughs) It's a shocking thing. But that's what, what happens. You know, and that is what the Bible talks about, the body of the flesh. The body of the flesh is where human effort is used to be like God. We've always thought that the flesh was, I'm in the flesh because I'm lusting after women, or I'm stealing money, or I'm doing this. That's not being in the flesh. That is the fruit of being in the flesh. In the flesh is when you seek to be like God by your works. Or, or being in the flesh is human power and human, uh, the right word is will worship or willpower. To try and be what God says you are. That's being in the flesh. And the fruit of that is all these different sins. And the fruit of all the sins is death. So the end of seeking justification by your works is death. Now, when Jesus died, we we were circumcised. The flesh was cut off from us so that we never again had to have a, 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 a willpower relationship with God where we use our willpower to make the, uh, to, to make the standard that God places there manifest in our lives that was cut off from us because that's what Adam implemented from the beginning for those of you that are here for the first time, you must get my series on the fulfillment of the law that I've preached. That you can see what the origin of the law is and how, how all of that works. When Adam implemented the, a system between God and man that says, by your flesh, by the works of the flesh, you shall be declared righteous. By the works of the flesh, by the works you do. Now, I want to just say works of the flesh. You know, in your mind, you must, you must try and disconnect sin from flesh and see sin as man's uh, and, and see the flesh as man's best effort to be like God that's why the Bible says no flesh shall be justified before God by the works of the law so no flesh no human effort will ever be seen as righteous by the works of the law by your hard work you can never be declared righteous before God never Adam came and he implemented a system And he said, I implement this system. By this system, man will be righteous. Then God became a human being and he cut that system off from us. He was circumcised in his death. 
And now we experience the same death of what? Of the flesh man. The man that by his works had to be like God. Because that's what, what, what Jesus became. He came into the likeness of sinful flesh. And then he died. So when he died, flesh died. Human effort to be like God died. As a way unto God. And then a new and living way was placed there. Because the flesh was, in the Old Testament, the only way unto God. There was nothing to believe. You didn't have to believe this or believe that. It was the only way. Then, God came in Jesus Christ and He made an end to that way. And um, what I'm going to prove from the Scriptures here is, He forgave man for implementing that way. Isn't that powerful? He forgave man for implementing that way by paying for the, for the consequences of that, by coming into that, and by dying that death. Dying that way. So his way, he, he was not, oh Adam, you know, I am not angry with you that you've implemented this knowledge of good and evil. Because that wouldn't have changed anything. It's like, um, it's, it's, it's like your, your, uh, you're not married, you, you sleep with a young guy, you get pregnant. Now your father comes to you and tells you, okay, I forgive you, I'm not angry with you. But what about the child? <laughs> That's the whole thing. So for God to say, well, I'm not angry with Adam, wouldn't mean anything. It's like uh, uh, you decide to, 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 to go on to drugs. Now you on drugs, you pump your veins full of heroin every day. And now your father tells you, I'm not angry with you, I forgive you. What does that help? That doesn't set you free. But the forgiveness that God came to do wasn't merely saying, I'm not angry with man. It was forgiving man or delivering man from the system man implemented. Which was, I will be like God by the knowledge of all the good there is in my life. And then, I will have knowledge of what is evil, but by the good I do, I will be like God. And God came into that body and died that body. Now, that's not correct correct English, but you can hear what I'm saying. He killed that body. He came into it, lived perfect as that body. Because it was God in human flesh. Died, and when He died... We were forgiven from that way. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. That way was taken out of the way. And now there's only one new living way unto God. That is why we say Jesus is the only way. We don't say Jesus is the only way to make the followers of Allah angry. That's not why we say Jesus is the only way. We say Jesus is the only way because all the other ways that there is cannot reach God. There are many other ways which man make unto God, but it can never reach God. The only way unto God is through Jesus Christ. Because all the other ways, it, uh, the emphasis is on your good works and your performance and what you can get right and how holy you are and how committed you are and how faithful you are. And you can't, through that, ever reach that place. 
So then God came and said, well, when Adam implemented that, that was the only way that there was unto God. Unfortunately, nobody could walk the way all out. Jesus said, this way will be between me and uh, uh, between God and man uh, 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 forevermore. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one point or comma of this law way will ever pass until somebody can walk that way. So Jesus walked that way. Amen. Burnt the bridge. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? And then, because He did it on behalf of man, opened another way, which is faith that it was on behalf of us all. When we believe that, we accept His way. And we receive the Holy Spirit. We are made new by the power of God. And that's how He forgave us. It wasn't merely a shallow saying, or, I'm not angry with you. It was, I am not, I'm not angry with you. The wrath of God has been set at peace. Listen, the biggest thing in the kingdom of God is not the anger of God. Somebody can be very angry with you and still bless you. Although he's angry. A paas dik mond vir die seen, my geo man nog steeds wat hy wil hee. That's just one part of the whole thing. God's anger was set a piece upon His Son. It was poured out upon Jesus Christ. But, He, the, 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 we, we will get into the Greek here, we literally got divorced from the other way. The word forgive in the, uh, um, in the Greek means also, in the, um, if, you, if you study the Webster's, it means a husband divorcing his wife. The word forgive. Now, many people don't want to be forgiven that way. But <laughs> it's, because the, it's because the word forgive doesn't have so much to do with, I'm not angry with you. It is more of a taking away of the system that is bringing this anger between us. So, there's, there's laws in the house that the wife is breaking all the time. So, and then this guy says, the only way we can be together is on the basis of this law. So, I will set you free from my law over you. You can go now. That's what it, what it means. Now, we didn't get divorced from the law. We've got a much more powerful way than divorce. Um, it means to expire or to yield up. It's for a contract to expire or to be yielded up. Amen. To depart in such a way that all legal claims are fully, are fulfilled and abandoned. So in other words, it's to the point that all legal claims that there is between two parties is absolutely fulfilled to the point that we don't have to ever do any of those things. That's the word forgive. Can you see, it, it doesn't have so much to do with anger. It's got much more to do with taking away a system by which we were made guilty. The Thaya definition, Greek definition says, is where there is no fellowship or union. So, he says, God has forgiven us. In other words, he has for, he's broken all fellowship and all union. Not with him, because the Bible says he came to reconcile man unto him. So what fellowship did he break? What union did he break? 
He came to break all fellowship that man has with the law. All. And all union. And what I've seen is uh, uh, some grace, grace guys are preaching and they're saying, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And they say, the grace message is what I preach now, but truth is now your right living. That's not the gospel. The Bible says grace and truth, not grace and truth existed before Jesus came. No, no, because right living existed before Jesus came. Grace and truth came in Jesus Christ. That means that there was no truth before Jesus came on the scene. No truth. In the Old Testament, unless you interpret every verse and the context of every chapter towards the cross, you're not reading the truth. David wasn't the true worshipper. Because everybody said David was a big worshipper. He was worshipping in truth. He wasn't worshipping in truth. In John chapter 4, Jesus said that God is seeking those that worship Him in truth. And there were faithful Pharisees getting dressed in the right robes, coming with a pure motive, saying, I'm going to worship God with all my life. People not giving, being given in marriage. Men being made, is it, is it eunuchs or whatever, for, for, for the purpose of the gospel. I tell you, you're serious, man. That's what they did. And not the gospel, for their law, for the Torah. That's what they did. I mean, worshipping with all sincerity, giving their lives for the worship and the study of scriptures, knowing the first five books of the Bible off by heart. And Jesus says, I'm seeking worshippers that can worship me in truth. Because there's no one. The Bible says this, if you read Romans chapter 2, talking about the Old Testament, this says there's no one that seeks after God. <laughs> no one that seeks after God. No one. Now what does that mean? Because surely Moses was seeking after God. Surely David was seeking after God. But what God sees as seeking after God, and what Moses saw as seeking after God, was different things. The one was seeking after the law of God. And in the New Testament, God became Word. And when we seek after Christ and what He's done for us, you are seeking after God. And when you worship in truth, you worship in the truth of what God came to manifest in Jesus Christ. So, when we worship in truth, we come, we worship in Jesus and in His finished work and in what He has done. That is truth. And if we want to see, we, we can't use good works as the truth. Jesus said that He is the truth. Hallelujah. So, what is the truth when it comes to forgiveness? It's what Jesus has done. He was circumcised. I mean, He brought forth the world. Mankind was circumcised from the flesh system. That's what He brought forth. So, why will we ever want to go back and walk an old road that is not called a road anymore? You know, if you go to, if, if you look at a, 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 these, I've, I've seen a lot of them in the, in the Transvaal. They built the new toll road, you know, this massive highway. And then the old road is there next to, next to the... But that road is going in that direction, but it doesn't reach there. Why do you want to go on that road? It's not the road anymore. It was a road. But it's not the road. It was a way. There was a time when it was the only way. 
Unfortunately, that way, by your power, you could never reach it. Then Jesus became the highway. Hallelujah. And that's why the Bible says, you know, now, now what I've seen is, Judaism was the way. Then we came and said, okay, we don't have to be circumcised physically anymore, sacrifice animals, this, 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 this. But we don't get onto the right way. We build our own way now. By how many times we come to church, how much money we give to church, this and that and whatever, how much we pray, and all of that, and we, we try to reach. And now there are many ways that man makes by his effort that they, that they think will reach the place where you can call yourself, I'm righteous, or I'm blessed, or I'm loved of God. But there is only one way. That's why the Bible says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to life. Because there's so many things that man tries to do in his own effort to reach that mystical place called righteous, or blessed, or obedient, or in the middle of the will of God. Oh man, I tell you. So I, I heard somebody say to me, She's in the middle of the will of God. Then I thought, now, what do you mean? And this person said, they preach here, they do that, they listen to the voice, they do that, they're in the middle of the will of God. Why don't they rather say, well, I'm seeing Christ living in me. That's better. And Christ has placed me in the middle of the will of God. For the will of God for man was that man will not by his flesh be uh, uh, righteous before God. And he said, let me make a man that represents the human race. And I cut off the flesh from mankind forevermore. So that we are not a fleshly man anymore. We are a spiritual man because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said to those pastors in Bible school, I said, when you preach from the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, man, just talk about the cross. Talk about the resurrection. Talk about His death. Talk about the circumcision in Christ. Talk about the forgiveness, the way God sees a thing, where the, where the center is Jesus. Okay, so he said in Colossians chapter 2 from verse 13 and 14, he says, He has forgiven us all our sins, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us. So how did he blot out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us? You know the scripture in Numbers 21, uh, the, the snakes came. First what the people did is, they said, we don't want to eat this manna. What was the manna? It was the body that falls from heaven. To me it speaks of Adam and Eve. I don't want the manna. I, we want some other meat. We, we don't want manna. We want meat. We don't want this bread. We want flesh. Okay? I want flesh. <laughs> they died with the teeth, with the, with the meat in between the teeth. One bite of the flesh, you die. One bite of, by my own works, I'll be righteous before God. You'll experience death right there. Right there. What came? Fiery serpents came and bit them 
and they died. So what does the serpent speak of? Satan. What did Satan bring in? The ministration of death. That ministration of death was written and on stones. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7, first part. So what is the bite of Satan? It's that law system. So what happened is, the moment man rejected the manna, the food that's for free, and said, I'm going for flesh, Satan came, or the will worship came in and killed man. But then God said, make a cross and make a bronze snake. And he put it on the cross. So, I've argued with, with, with people sometimes. They said to me that the law was never nailed to the cross. If the law was never nailed to the cross, and that system wasn't nailed to the cross, Jesus came in vain. He wasted his time. He could have just left the whole thing. That's what he could have done. But that's, the, thank God, the Old Testament said the snake was nailed. The bite of the serpent. The Bible says the power of sin is in the law. It was nailed there so that the flesh could die. And the consequences of the flesh could die. And the whole flesh system could cease and stop and manna fall from heaven. And we live off the food that is for free. And you know what they said? They said, we, our souls detests this light bread. Our souls, in New Testament terms, our souls hate it for it's too easy. This light bread. This, this, this light bread, this, this gospel thing. Jesus did it all. Oh, Jesus did it all, but what must I do for God? I want to do something for God. The I do for God has died. We don't work for God. God works in us. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't work for God. I told the people when I was in Tanzania, God didn't tell me to come here. Yet the eyes were this big. I said, I want to come here. I love you. I said, I live in a very nice house in South Africa and I drive nice and when you get to the shop, the power's on. You know, it's, it's a blessing. Our roads are clean. You know, I don't have a, 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 a in my ears every day. You know, we, but it would be more difficult for me to stay at home than to come here. Because God is alive in human flesh today. And that is what we are proclaiming. We are not proclaiming man's pitiful effort to try and be like God in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not what we are proclaiming. We are proclaiming a new man that was born from the dead, which, who is Jesus. And he was the firstborn from the dead amongst Many brethren. Hallelujah. Book of Hebrews. So now we who believe, we are born with the same life that brought him from the dead. So, does Jesus today try and obey scriptures in heaven to be who he is? No. He is. That's the wonderful thing. When God spoke to Moses, he says, Who shall, shall I say has sent me? And he came and he proclaimed the basis of all the good news that you can ever hear in one word. And he said, I am that I am. 
And I like the way the King James says it. It says, I am that I am. In other words, I am so much it manifests. I am that I am. Isn't that beautiful? Hallelujah. And now when you are born from I am, you're not an I become. You are born from Him. Because Adam said, I want to become. Then God said, let me become an Adam. And it was called the last Adam. And that Adam died. He's dead. He's dead. When he died, we were forgiven. (laughs) When the last Adam died, then the Adamic race from God's side was divorced. Or delivered. Or all contracts fulfilled between man and the law. And so that man could become alive. When Jesus was raised, he was not raised by his good works. He was raised by the spirit of holiness. So that we are not raised into this new life by good works, but by the Holy Spirit. And that's the promise that God had. From the beginning, you will receive the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Listen, if this doesn't make you happy, God's happy about it. I'm happy about it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says that He abolished the law. He abolished the law and commandments. That word abolished means to loose from a person, to put to an end, to end all, um, to end all intercourse with. Huh? Now, I like the, the, the word intercourse there because we, the Bible says when you become one with Christ, He will bear fruit in you. But when you become one with the law, the law will bear fruit in you unto death. Romans 7. So He says, when Christ died, the new man that was raised, that was circumcised from the flesh, which we call forgiveness. <laughs> That's why Paul said, today, in in Acts 13, 38, today is proclaimed unto all of you forgiveness. Now that was more than, listen man, you bring a lamb and now God's not angry with your sin. But tomorrow you've got to bring a lamb again because you have not been forgiven or set free or circumcised from the system that says, if you do something wrong, you must bring a lamb. If you do something wrong, you must bring a lamb. The curse was not only when you obeyed. The greatest curse that came upon mankind was the curse not of a law. Of a law. Of having a law. That's the greatest curse. Listen, say you happily married. Bring a nice law into your marriage. And you'll see the curse of a law. Curse of having a law. Hey, booty. It's trouble. So, he comes, he says he has abolished in his flesh. So what did he come to do? He came to, in his flesh, end all intercourse that the human race will ever have with the law. My goodness. My goodness. So, does the law exist today? Yes. Human effort does exist to be like God. 
but does the law exist as the way to God? It's been abolished forever. There's nothing you can do about it. You can disagree, agree, whatever. There's nothing you can do against the truth. Nothing. Nelson Mandela was president of this country. Your agreement to it doesn't make him president or doesn't, or whatever. He was. That's it. Jacob Zuma is president of this country. If you accept it or not, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change the fact. The fact is that the law is no more a way unto God. Does the law exist? And does people still try to revive uh, the old flesh? Yes. But I want, I've got good news for you. You are forgiven. Mankind has been forgiven for having a law. <laughs> By taking that whole thing away. And taking the punishment for implementing that upon the body of Jesus Christ. So God's not angry and he's be, we've been delivered. We have been. The, the husband that we had is, is not, we're not married to him anymore. Romans chapter 7. Just for those of you that are here for the first time. Those of you that are here for the first time, I hope I've shocked you. (laughs) Hallelujah. It says, Now know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, that the law has has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to a husband as long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law. That's our forgiveness. We've been loosed from the law. Now verse 5. Ach, verse 3. So then, if while the husband lives, she be married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if a, that's why grace couldn't be preached as a way under the Old Testament. It would have been adultery. Huh? Would have been adultery. Couldn't. Okay. The law man first had to die. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from the law. The fact that Jesus Christ is preached today, the fact that there is a word like Jesus Christ, the fact that there is a message that there was a cross with somebody hanged upon that cross, is the proof that we've been loosed from the law. For it, wasn't, it, it, it was a mystery and hidden for ages and generations. It couldn't be preached. It was even a mystery while Jesus walked the earth. To the point that Jesus said, after my resurrection, I will send you the Holy Spirit and He will teach you all things concerning me. And then, I don't know if I preached it here last time, and just to correct that thing where we believe we ask God for anything and He's going to give it to us. Then the context is in John 16, and whatsoever you ask the Father concerning Jesus and what He's done for you, that He will give you. No God, I want a yellow Lamborghini. Because the scripture says, whatever I ask the Father in the name of Jesus. Now the context is, they ask Jesus, Jesus, where are you going now? Why are you dying? Why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? And he answered them, and he said to them, but you will not know all things now. But I will send you the Holy Spirit, and whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. The context is asking concerning what Christ has done for me. And you know what blessing that gives me? And I realize that's been happening in my life. If I, if I read a scripture and I say, God, I don't understand that scripture. Explain to me in the light of Christ. As sure as what God lives, I tell you, I get the answer. Every time, whatsoever I ask, I get the answer. I even got the answer in the book of Job. Remember when I preached that? 
Job was not written for me. He's a type of Christ. Hallelujah. Job is a type of Christ. And the place where Job was used in our lives is just be patient, God will bless you. One place in the Bible. Huh? Job was a righteous man. He suffered. Uh, um, it talks about Jesus, righteous and tempted by Satan, allowed by God on behalf of the human race, the whole thing. You ask God, He gives it to you. Do you understand? So say, God, I want to see the scripture in the light of Jesus Christ, His resurrection, true forgiveness, the fulfillment of the law. You'll see God answer you. Every time you ask, you'll get your answer. Every time. And you know what? The moment I understood that scripture in John 16, I came to a place where I said, where, where, where God came out of the category of liar in my life. Because we as Christians have been walking with that scripture, whatsoever you ask the Father in the name of Jesus, whatsoever you ask the Father in the name of Jesus, and then it's money and cars and airplanes and this and that and whatever, we don't get it, and in our hearts, in our subconscious mind, we believe God is not going to give it, we actually believe in our subconscious mind God lies and there's something weird about God, and we try and reason the way in some way. But thank God for the answer. Amen. Thank God for the answer. So Jesus Christ has come and He has forgiven us. He has set us Free from the law. Now, um, uh, uh, talking about forgiveness and the law, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 8. The Bible clearly states that God will write the law on our hearts. <laughs> now, he's just circumcised us from the law. He's just forgiven us from the law and now he's not going to have it on stones anymore but he's going to write it in our hearts. And I tell you, I've heard that thing so many times and every time I heard that, something bothered me. You just feel, but here's God, he comes and he has now forgiven us from the law. He has delivered us from the law and his consequences. And then you always find this, find this guy saying, but the law is now written on our hearts. And you can't argue, man. You can read it there. It's written in three places in the Bible this long. In the Greek, it says law on the heart. In the Hebrew as well. In Jeremiah 34. You sit with that scripture, you know. And then you say, oh, the law is God's law, you know. And, and uh, this is God's law. It's written on our hearts. The Bible also says in Romans chapter 2, I ask the Father. And that's the thing, people. You ask God, God explain that to me. He's going to explain it to you. If it's this week or next week, doesn't matter. You're going to get your answer. I said, Lord, you need to explain that to me. And I was thinking for some months over this. And God gave me the answer on that. Romans chapter 2 verse 12 says, the law was written on the hearts of the Gentiles. That's why they're guilty before God. Think of that one. The law was already written on the hearts of the Gentiles. And they were a law unto themselves. Excusing or accusing themselves before God. Therefore, all people are concluded as sinners under the law. The Gentiles didn't have the law in written format, but it was already written on their hearts. And what was, the, what was the fruit of having the law written on the heart of the Gentile? Accusation, guilt, condemnation before God. 
So why will God now come and say, I'll make a new contract, a new uh, a commandment I'll bring. I will write my law on their heart. If, it's all, if it was already written on the hearts of the Gentiles. And I want to go so far to say, it was already written on the hearts of the Jews as well. They only had it in written form also. Because before the law was, uh, um, Abraham, Abram, which was a Jew, before he had the law, he gave his wife to the king and said it's his sister. And God came and said to the king, if you sleep with her, you're going to die. And then the king came to Abram and says, look what sin we've almost committed. Adultery was a sin. And the king knew it was a sin. From which law? From which law? In their hearts they knew. In their hearts they knew. Because the moment Adam sinned, that law was in the hearts of all of men. They knew. It was written on their hearts. So, I want to submit to you today that the law that God writes on your heart is not the Ten Commandments. It's not what it's called by, called these days, but, you know, we will now want to do good now that we are under grace. As if you never wanted to do good as when you were under the law. The problem is, under the law you wanted to do good, but you couldn't. That's clear. I mean, even before you got saved, did you want to do good or bad? You want to do good, but you can't help it, man. You're doing bad. But you want to do good all the time. Every year, you've got your nieuwe jaars voornemen. Isn't it? This year, I tell you this year, I'm going to be that husband my wife always wanted because I see my beauty, my sweetheart, I love her so much, I'm not going to beat her anymore. And five years later, that same night, she didn't want to listen. We had to teach. And that's what happens. We can't change. But the, the motive in the heart is a desire. I want to do good. I want to do good. Oh, but I can't. So the law that God writes on the heart is not a feeling now you're under grace. No, I don't want to do bad anymore. No, I will want to be a giver. I will want to be. That's not that law. That's the fruit of the old law. The new law. It talks about something completely different. In Hebrews 10. Uh, let me see this. He says, oh, this is beautiful. He says, um, finding fault with them, he said, behold, the days come, verse 8, 8 verse 8, Hebrews 8 verse 8, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So it cannot be the old one now written on the heart. He says, I'll make a new covenant. A new covenant means there's new rules, a new system, a new everything. He says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I led them... Um, by the hand out of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. So he says, the covenant that he will make will not be a covenant where you can not be regarded. It can only be a covenant where you can be regarded. Now what will be another word of regard? To honor, isn't it? Om te erken. Om iemand te kan erken. To honor him. So he says, I'll make a new covenant with you, not an old covenant. And this new covenant will be a covenant. And the reason why I want a new one is because under the old one, I couldn't honor you. For my heart is to honor you. Making the Old Testament God still a God of love. It was the Old Testament God that planned Jesus Christ. Amen. It wasn't there a bad God, now a good God. It's 
always to the same God. And he says, I want this new covenant so that I can bless them, I can regard them. For this is my covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in the heart. And I will be to them a God and they shall become to me a people. Now listen to this. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Now it comes with the covenant. What the covenant is that he will put in their hearts and what he will do. What is his covenant? For I will be merciful to the unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So he said, I'm going to make a new covenant. This new covenant I'm going to write in their hearts. The fruit of this covenant is, no man will say, teach your neighbor. Why will no man say, teach his neighbor? Now we, we don't understand that. He was going to study that in the... He was, remember, he, he was writing to Hebrew people. What does the Hebrews understand under teach your neighbor? Those times it wasn't like us, there was a church on every corner. People heard the gospel or, or, or the Torah and then they had those laws and they were teaching their neighbors on how to live right. Go and study the Old Testament. That's exactly what they do. Go and teach your neighbor. When he says, you see him do something wrong, tell him, no, you don't do it like that. The Torah says you must do it like this. You must do it. He says that will not be needed. Because they had to do the law and when they could do all the law, they could say, now I know God. He says, now your brethren, the, the believers, the context here is believers, when they believe now, you will not have to go and correct them here about right living here and right living and this and laws and whatever anymore. Because in me, everybody will now know God. For if you believed in Christ, you've known God. You've known God. <laughs> That's what it says. It says, the fruit of this is, they will, I'm, I'm going to make a new law. This new law I'm going to write in their hearts. They will not teach one another anymore. And it doesn't talk about New Testament teaching. He says, and now, he says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. So, what was the teaching all about in the Old Testament? You're unrighteous here, you must do this right. You're unrighteous here, you must do this right. For I will remember their sins no more. So, the new thing that he will write in the hearts is something that's all about him not remembering our sins anymore. (laughs) Hallelujah. <laughs> Makes me so happy. There's something new he writes on our heart, not the law. There's a new law on our hearts. It's the law of life in Christ Jesus. It's the law that says if one obeyed, then we are righteous. You write that in your heart, you will put it in your mind. Now let's go to that same verse quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, from verse 1, I'm just going to run quickly through it and then we're going to end with this verse. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. Can with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually not make the comers there unto perfect? For then would they, not, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers once purged should have no more. Now it talks about the mind in which God's going to write His law. Conscience of sin. So he says, if the law sacrifices, if your effort to make you righteous could make you righteous, why must you do it again and again and again? If it could have done it, you should have done it once and you would have been righteous. 
If good works can make you righteous, if tithing can make you righteous before God, you should give once and you'll be blessed for the rest of your life. But you must give it again and again and you must sigh and you must sigh and so and so and give and uh. Prayer for breakthrough or for revival. If it worked, you would have prayed once. Finished. But that's not the answer for revival. You know what, I, I, those pastors, I mean, they, they're seeking revival. I said to them, I want to declare to you that what you've been seeking has been alive for 2,000 years. The revival of the Bible is alive for 2,000 years. Man died in Adam and was revived in Christ. And we are not seeking revival. We're declaring the revival that, there, that has happened 2,000 years ago. And whosoever believes experiences the life of this revival that is alive right now. You cannot be more in the middle of the revival as when you simply believe this gospel of grace. Revival hunting has made the church tired. Christians have spent billions of rands on books on how to get a revival and they still don't have it. Because our definition of revival is signs, wonders and miracles. A true revival is a life lived from the foundation of this. I tell you, if you come today with me and say, Bertie, I I give you a miracle. Your child can be healed from cancer. Or I give you that your child can understand this gospel. Let him have the gospel. Understanding of the gospel. Out of that he can also be healed. Out of that he can be blessed. Out of that, even when he has got the cancer in his body, he will not think he's a sinner. He will not feel far from God. He will not feel this is a judgment of God. He will not feel that, why is God bringing this over my path to teach me something? You'll never question Mark of, um, well, I, whatever I ask you, Father, give to me and you're not giving it to me. Yeah. You'll have a peace that cannot be described in words. Peace that surpasses understanding. Because understanding says you can only have peace if you healed. Understanding says you can only have peace if, you, um, if you're financially blessed. No, no, we have peace in all areas of life. Amen. And what's so nice, when we come with this peace, we pray for the sick with great power in the name of Jesus Christ. We saw so many people healed now. At the crusade. One after the other after the other. Demons, people getting free from demons. People with deafness, blindness, whatever. God healing people right there. So we're not against miracles. We say yes. But the greatest of all is the revelation of what God has done for us. Okay, so he comes, he says, that the true worshippers, your good works can never make you righteous before God. You will always have a sin consciousness if you come with your own sacrifices and all that. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he comes unto the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wilt not. You don't want it. But a body you have prepared for me. Huh? Look at the new law. He's, going to, he's now going to say, I'm going to imp- this is the implementation of the new law, a body that is prepared. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, um, uh, uh, for sin that I had no pleasure. Then said he, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it's written of me, to do your will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings, 
and offerings for sin, thou would not, neither hast do pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do your will, O God, taking away the first law, and then that he may establish the second. By which, so in other words, what he says is, there was a law that says that you are sinful. So what was the law that made you sinful? It was the Ten Commandments. Then you got the ceremonial laws, which was what you had to do for the remission of your sins. So, there was a consciousness of sin. Why? Because I broke the Ten Commandments. Now, there's a sacrifice for sin. Now he says, I don't want this sacrifice anymore. I want something else that can make them 100% perfect and remove their sins forevermore. And this new law, I will write in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people. And what is this law? What is this law? This, this is the, the law. That, this is the whole law. I gave a body. I gave a body. And this body will take away your sins. This body will take away the consciousness of sin. He says, I will put them in your mind and in your heart. Right. Um, let's go to verse, verse 15. Now he says, where, where, where of the Holy Ghost is a witness of. So he says, this thing that I've just told you, that God doesn't want a sacrifice of you sacrificing because you can never be holy before Him. He's prepared a body. He says, the Holy Spirit is a witness of that by the following verse. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. What days? The law, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts because the law that was given in the beginning when Adam came wasn't God's law, it was man's law. Now God says, I'll put my law in your heart. Because Adam came and he placed a law that says, by your works, you're going to be like me. Then God says, I'll put another law. If you believe in me, you are like me. And that law, he will write in your heart and put in your mind. And I'm going to explain a bit more how clearly how that, how that law functions. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and their minds I will write them. And their sins... And iniquities I will remember no more. Oh, hallelujah. And the remission of... Uh, um, now, where the remission of these are, there is no offering for sin. So what is the law that He will write in our hearts? The law of remission of sins. <laughs> and it will make our minds dwell on that. So I want to tell you, anything that comes and doesn't make you believe, that believe in the law of remission of sins, which is by the one man... Our sins has been forgiven by the law being fulfilled. We've been forgiven by the law taken away. Anything else than that is not God's law being written in your heart and you're not dwelling on His law in your mind. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having a high priest... Over the house of God. Now listen to mind and heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith. So what's the new law? The full assurance of faith. Written in your heart. A true heart is a heart that is fully assured by faith. In what Christ Jesus has done for us. Having our heart sprinkled from a... Now it talks about the mind... An evil conscience. What is an evil conscience? Conscience? A consciousness of sin. 
So what's a new law in the heart? The law of you believe and you are made righteous by Jesus Christ. How is it written in our minds? We're not conscious of our sins anymore. We are conscious of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We will preach this gospel all over the world. Amen. Hallelujah. There's one message for the human race. And it's the message of forgiveness that we proclaim boldly. That's why I'm not scared to preach to a Muslim. I'm not scared. The Muslims got saved, many of them in those crusades. Because what were we proclaiming? We're proclaiming the forgiveness of sins, which is the fulfillment of the law. And what God was writing on their hearts while we were preaching this was belief in what Jesus has done. A full assurance of faith in the heart. And a mind clean. And then it says there, having our bodies, bodies washed with pure water. What is that? Our flesh has been circumcised. Our flesh has been cleansed. Because the law has been taken away. Hallelujah. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the message that can save people. This saves people. Now when I was there, I was teaching the evangelists. I said to them, listen guys, our vision is not to see how high we can get the people to jump. What we want to see is what do they believe when we preach? The one guy is a soldier, you know, stands there with his AK-47 at the road, stop the car, see if they kill wild animals and whatever. And, um, you know, you get the bus next to the road. So there I was standing next to the road in the middle of nowhere. And we were sitting there in the car waiting for the bus. And um, on the main, way, main route from, from Wanza to Dar es Salaam. And here this guy comes closer. He said, you know, you preached the gospel the day before yesterday, but I did not receive the message. I just went and thought about this. He says, and it touched my heart so that I had to come the next day and acknowledge in front of everybody that I received Jesus. Huh? The power, l- listen, this is the power of God unto salvation. One of the most frustrating things to me is if we've preached the message like this and somebody comes afterwards and say, oh, you know, when will the Holy Spirit show up and we see the power of God? Wake up and smell the coffee. Please, men. This is the power of God. This can heal any sickness. It can heal any marriage. It can heal... It gives you a peace and a power by which you can go forth. The Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can powerfully understand these scriptures teach the Scriptures, walk in the power with signs and wonders, which is a confirmation of the Scripture. When a sick person gets healed, what is the sign of? Man was sick in Adam and got healed in Jesus Christ. If a dead man gets raised, what is the sign of? Man was dead in Adam and got raised in Jesus Christ. If a blind man sees, what is the sign of? Man couldn't see because the law has blinded him and now he can see. If a deaf man hears, what is the sign of? We couldn't hear the true message, but now we can hear the Gospel ringing in our ears. Hallelujah. Thank you for the gospel, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? I've I've been preaching long, Jung. You've been sitting here for an hour and 45 minutes. It feels as if I want to start to preach now. Now we can start to hammer some scriptures. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the people here. Thank you for the revelation in the Scriptures.
that we will never have to ever think on the law written on our hearts as the Ten Commandments again. My God, if you would have written the Ten Commandments on our hearts, you would have been employed by Satan. But you are not. You would have enforced what Adam, where Adam disobeyed. But you've set us free. By not writing the Ten Commandments, but your law. The law of life in Christ Jesus. A heart with full confidence of faith written in our hearts. A mind full of no consciousness of sin, but a consciousness of Christ, which is the truth of the gospel. You said in your word, my Father, that you want true worshippers that will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the worshippers once purged shall have no more consciousness of sin, making the work of Jesus. There is no consciousness of sin, your only truth, my Father. Thank you that we can walk in the truth and not the lie. Thank you, Father, that you've empowered us to preach this gospel. Thank you that we can make ourselves and our families and everything we have available for the spreading of this word. There's no better investment, my God, than this gospel, than spreading this word to people. Thank you, my Father, for your goodness and your love that I could preach this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit where deep calls out to deep, where spirit speaks to spirit, where we don't talk carnal things, but we speak spiritual things, the things of Jesus, my Jesus, my Savior. There is no one like you. How can we but worship you? Your word is a miracle word. How can we but obey? We obey by believing. Thank you that we can wait, Father, for the beautiful return of Jesus in bodily form. We will see the fullness of this gospel, which we already possess in earthen vessels, where we will be possessed in heavenly vessels. Thank you, my Father. Thank you that we've come to the place where the Corinthian church was, where we need nothing more and lack in no gift and nothing. For you have made us complete through one sacrifice. Thank you for the scriptures that says through one sacrifice you've perfected forever us who believe in Jesus. Oh, thank you, my God. I declare your blessing over every person here. I declare the power of the Holy Spirit over every person here. I declare healing, uh, signs, wonders, miracles over every person here. Restoration of marriages, relationships in the mighty name of Jesus over every person in this place. I speak and declare the blessings of financial blessings over them, which is a sign of man was poor, but God made him rich. Thank you for that, my God, that those signs of the gospel can freely manifest in our lives. We believe in your gospel. We believe in your good news as a fruit of your word, as a fruit of your power, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I declare over every person here that there is no power of Satan over them. They've been set free. The new law is written in their hearts. And I love what the words of David says then. In the, in the night watches, I will meditate upon your law. Thank you, my God. Your law is a guide light unto me. Your law, not Moses' law. Jesus, you said to the Pharisees, your law says, meaning that you had another law. Thank you for your law, my God. Your law. Your law.
written in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.